Welcome to this edition of Rail Group on Air, the podcast series brought to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. I'm William C. Vantuono. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Railway Age. Our very special guest is Ed Elkins, a career railroader. He is Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Norfolk Southern. So, Ed, welcome. Before we get started talking about marketing and what you do at Norfolk Southern, let's talk a little bit about your career. You uh, you started as a brakeman, I believe, in college. I did, yes. I'd just gotten out of the uh, military um, and was about to go to college, and my, my dad suggested that I needed a job and came out with a newspaper back when we had those with a, with a help wanted ad for Norfolk Southern. And so I applied along with about 400 other people uh, for a job as a brakeman. Uh, they had about 10 or 12 positions open, I think, at that time. And, uh, and I was lucky enough to get one of them. And so I started as a brakeman, then I became a conductor, and later became a locomotive engineer all while going to college. And spent, uh, spent six years uh, in the transportation crafts, um, always on the extra board, and worked in uh, many, I guess I, I guess I would call it many famous coal towns, uh, across the uh, N and W, the old N and W, uh, whether it was Bluefield or uh, Princeton or Williamson, and all the way down into uh, Andover, Virginia. So it was a it was a great experience, and really, really and truly a great way to start my career. It it gave me a lot of background. Did that give you some perspective on how the railroad interfaces with customers? For example, if you were handling local switches, for example. It can be hard if you're not involved in the business like you and I are to sort of envision, you know, what goes on actually at a customer's location. Uh, but the way I try to explain it to folks here that may not have that experience is, you know, your local is just like a UPS driver going down the going down the street. Instead of packages, you have cars, and you you drop off packages and you pick up packages. And our customers, one thing I really learned a lot about was how dependent our customers are on that reliable service that they can count on. Uh, there were many times when we would show up at a mine location to spot empties and there'd be a crew standing there waiting for them. Uh, and, and you know, they depended on it for their livelihood. And that's one thing that I try to impress upon all our folks. At Norfolk Southern, uh, how long have you been on the marketing side? Uh, for about 30 years. I, hmm. in, in, in 1994, I got a call to ask if I wanted to interview for a job in marketing. I'd just gotten a job as a road foreman of engines. I said, what the heck, I'll go apply. And uh, that was it. I, I was in marketing after that and spent around 20 years on the intermodal side of the business and then moved over to the chemicals business, industrial products. And then I was lucky enough to find myself where I am now. I'm amazed by it every day. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So let's uh, let's talk a bit about 2023. What were some of your marketing accomplishments in, in 2023? I'm talking about attracting new business or growing existing business. There are a few things that I'm especially proud of. And, and you know, we, we covered 22 states and uh, have thousands of customers, uh, both new and existing. Uh, but we, we helped over 60 of our customers complete strategic projects where they either expanded their current facility or added a new facility uh, along our right-of-way. And, you know, when I, when I think back to what I was talking about earlier, those people dependent upon us for their jobs and the service that we provide, 
you know, we, we were able to help more than 4,500 new jobs occur along our right away. And so I'm very proud of that. That's our industrial development group, uh, along with um, state and local uh, agencies who got involved. And the, the second thing that I'm really proud of, which I think demonstrates our commitment to that customer centricity, that, that's very important, is our creation of a first and final mile markets group. And uh, a fellow that you may know, Stefan Loeb, sure. uh, came over and uh, was good enough to come and help us stand up that group. And I'm very excited that he's here working with us. That group is really focused on how do we attract and retain more business coming to the railroad around that first and final mile. And as you know, from your experience, mainline trains are pretty easy to run, but it doesn't matter if you can't get them that, that last switch uh, to the customer location or, or vice versa. So we're really focused on the quality of our service as well as our reach beyond the railhead. And Stefan's experience, both with short lines as well as industrial development, is a great place for him to add value for us and for our customers, whether it's through our thoroughbred bulk transfer facilities or through our crown companies, which includes uh, Triple Crown. There are lots of different ways for customers who wish to have rail service but don't necessarily have a track next to their location uh, to derive value from us. And so we're excited about that. The third thing that I would highlight is we think about market reach and in the intermodal part of our business, often the value is defined by how much market reach you have for your network. Uh, when a customer wants to purchase transportation on the intermodal space, it's very rarely in one single lane. It's often uh, it's connecting to a network of, of metro locations. And we partnered both with CN, Canadian National, as well as with FEC to deliver value in a couple of different ways, connecting Florida to some of our Southeast markets in the case of uh, Florida East Coast, and then with CN connecting those key Canadian markets in the East with Kansas City and Atlanta in a very high quality steel wheel interchange operation that's in the early stages, but we're, we're very bullish on the outcomes there. So you work very closely with your contemporaries at, uh, at at some of the other railroads, the other class ones. Do you talk about competition in, in, in our business? And of course, everybody thinks, well, competition with trucks, okay, but then there's railroad to railroad competition. But there's actually, since there's so much interchange and so much interline service, it's really more of a cooperative relationship. Would you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. And, and uh, it's not just the class ones either. It's, it's uh, yeah. our short line partners. And Norfolk Southern is blessed to have more than 260 short line partners that connect to us. And in fact, if you include our short line partnerships along with the class ones, about half of our freight either starts or ends its journey on another railroad. So it, it certainly is a, a, a very cooperative environment. Sure, it's competitive too, absolutely. Um, but you know, when we think about delivering value for customers, uh, we have to make sure that we're delivering value in a way that they can easily recognize it. And that means being able to provide reach to those markets they want to get to or come from. Talking about, uh, again, about 2023, uh, last year, Norfolk Southern, made a billion dollars in infrastructure improvements. So I'd like you to talk a bit about the what role, the role that marketing plays in, in the, your capital investment strategy and, and funding allocation for different projects. What does that involve? That's, that's got to be quite uh, complex, at least from my perspective. 
You're right. It is complex, and and I think every railroad would say that it's complex and and intensive and and time consuming. But you know, when you when you're thinking about deployment of capital in, in the railroad terms, you're deploying capital into the ground generally, and it's not like you can pick it up and carry it somewhere else and use it later. Um, so we have to be very very diligent and careful in, in the way that we approach that. And our role in marketing is to be the customer's voice in that process. As we are looking at our network, both in terms of safety as well as market reach and capacity improvements, we're doing our very best to help the company make the right decision, assuming that there is a market need that's probably going to last for the next 10, 20, 30, maybe 50 years out there. Some of those bets that we place are pretty easy ones, and some of them are you know, more prospective. Certainly, our investment intermodal over the years in terms of capital has been uh, very prospective. We've built facilities and capacity really ahead of demand in many cases, and it's served us very well over the years. We also deploy capital in all the traditional ways that people think about, whether it's in terms of track, and you know, we're very proud of our, our track infrastructure. I think we laid something like 550 miles of track last year that was relayed new mm-hmm. new track yeah uh, which, which was a tremendous effort and uh, and we're very proud of it but it's going to enhance our safety as well as deliver additional capacity for our customers we replaced 40 bridges and we're proud of that i don't know how many highway departments have replaced 40 bridges in a year uh, i would say I, zero <laughs> when I drive over them, I think the same thing. But, you know, we're, we're proud of that. Probably the most important infrastructure investments that we made last year were really around safety. We installed over 100 new hot box detectors, 17 acoustic bearing detectors. We converted 218 of our CTC to ITCM towers, and we added two digital train inspection portals. Those are really milestones, particularly the uh, the portals. I think going to change the face of the industry in terms of safety over time. Safety is good business, and that's not necessarily something that people outside the industry recognize, but we do. Absolutely. We've made a commitment to make a safe railroad even safer. We are well along that journey, and we're committed uh, to becoming the, the industry standard in safety. We think it's the right thing to do for the communities that we serve, as well as the communities we, we travel through. It's the right thing for our customers, and certainly it's the right thing for our shareholders. What are your uh, expectations going forward? You know, traffic is uh, is starting to pick up. Uh, we are uh, across the board, across the industry, we do see some signs of growth. Growth is what everybody is talking about. You know, the terms pivot to growth and all that. But uh, what are your expectations uh, going forward, maybe short term and long term? Railroading is a long-term business. You had just talked about sure. the investments. You know, they're long-term investments in those sunk assets. I, for one, am ready for a pivot to growth, <laughs> both for the industry and for Norfolk Southern. You know, we're, we're expecting that in our merchandise market, that is our traditional carload markets, there's going to be growth delivered from our steel and metals markets. There's still a lot of demand out there. Uh, whether it's for uh, non-residential construction for new manufacturing capacity in the U.S. And when we think about the U.S., you know, for us, we're in the East and in the Midwest and the Southeast, we've seen very, very extensive manufacturing capacity come online, start to be built. And we think that that's a long-term secular trend that uh, globally uh, businesses that wish to have access to 
reliable energy at an affordable price, uh, have access to a very large customer base along with global connections for trade, as well as a talented and stable workforce, we think the U.S. is the place to be. We also think the eastern U.S., uh, even more so, and the southeastern U.S. is a very compelling uh, part of our network. So we're seeing a lot of developments there, uh, whether it's advanced manufacturing, as well as some of the infrastructure that supports that advanced manufacturing. So steel is going to be a big place for us, we think, this year. The automotive markets, even though um, demand has kind of fallen off a little bit for EVs, I think, uh, when you when you read the recent press, uh, we think in the long term, uh, the automotive market's going to be a place where Norfolk Southern can deliver a lot of value uh, for our automotive customers. We're still the number one originator of automotive traffic in America. When I think of consumers, I think of intermodal automatically. And, you know, there's still a lot of trucks out there. We, we know that. The fact is that good spending has slowed down quite a bit in this post-pandemic environment. From where it was, it's kind of leveled off. Uh, we expect that as the demand for transportation starts to increase in 2024 and the oversupply of trucks starts to recede, uh, those markets come back in balance and, and we're going to have a good year eventually uh, for intermodal, although it's probably toward the tail end of the year uh, based on what we're seeing. So talking about manufacturing, you know, coming back to the U.S., coming back to North America, terms like nearshoring, for example, there must be some examples of new types of manufacturing that maybe uh, maybe they haven't been traditionally rail served. Well, how does rail adapt to serving those new types of manufacturing, and and what are they? If you have, uh, if you can give me an example or two. Well, I think the EV supply chain is probably the first best example. Uh, we announced last year, along with Scout Motors, that they're going to be building a new facility in South Carolina to produce vehicles, and that includes, of course, the the, the parts for those vehicles. The batteries themselves are are fairly novel in terms of supply chain. Tesla, of course, has been a pathfinder in, in many ways, and their their supply chain is uh, is more mature than most. We are seeing uh, a lot of activity, both manufacturing and development activity, around that EV supply chain. And uh, whether those batteries are built in Canada or whether they're built in South Carolina, they generally are going to be able to find value from the type of service that, that we're going to be able to provide. You know, when I think of those uh, new supply chains, advanced manufacturing, a lot of that won't necessarily need a railroad for, for the end market but they will need railroads to help them build the facilities and to uh, to build the capacity that they that they need. So we're yeah. excited both of those sorts of opportunities. Yeah. What exactly is that? Well, advanced manufacturing is really anything that is um, sort of further up the value chain uh, in terms of whether it's semiconductors. You know, the Chips Act in the U.S. has has started to really generate a lot of activity around those sorts of uh, supply chains. So we see advanced manufacturing really as more of a just-in-time product that probably in the end uses some conveyance like air freight. But the fact is inputs to those processes as well as the actual manufacturing of those facilities themselves is a place where they can derive a lot of value from, from our service. Uh, a lot of the basic manufacturing, steel mills, that sort of stuff, yeah. 
I think it's going to come back to North America too. Chemicals is probably uh, one opportunity over time that the U.S. will find a very compelling argument for. And getting back to EVs, electric vehicles, uh, we we know that uh, Ford and General Motors, for example, they're saying, well, we're gonna we're gonna shift back to hybrid production, uh, hybrid vehicles, but those vehicles still need batteries. They still need the, 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 the battery supply chain is still there. Those supply chains and that logistics chain will, will mature over time. And, and you know what? One thing that we know is part of our strategy that's important for our customers is to provide that stable, reliable service that customers can build their supply chain around. And you know, that's how we help them solve problems and not create problems. Uh, you asked about advanced manufacturing. I, I'll give you one example that I talked about on our last earnings call. Uh, at least it's advanced manufacturing in my book, and that's one of our new customers called PureCycle. We uh, assisted them with developing their site, and what that company does is makes ultra-pure recycled resin from polypropylene uh, plastic waste. And, they, and, they, and what they do is they actually turn it back into polypropylene that can be used and reused for new manufacturing. So that's, that's a great example of a really circular supply chain that over time can develop where plastic waste comes in and gets recycled into new resin that can, that can then be injected back into the manufacturing cycle. Yeah. And that's a big uh, environmental concern now with plastic contamination, plastic waste getting into the environment. If that can be mitigated, ramp up yes. the use of uh, recycled plastic, uh, there's a good market opportunity, as you just uh, described. It's a great market opportunity. And, you know, um, Bill, what I, what I tell folks is, if I told you that I was going to start a company that's going to remove half to two-thirds of all the all the uh, CO2 from freight transportation, would you buy into that company? And by the way, it's going to save hundreds of lives every year. And by the way, everyone will be able to save money versus alternative means of transportation. Uh, I would buy into that company. And I think I think that's really a description of Norfolk Southern. You know, we're, we're helping our customers recognize the value, not only from the transportation side, but also from the environmental side in terms of sustainability. And uh, you know, one, one thing that we did this last year is we actually built a brand new carbon calculator that's highly accurate and very customizable to, to a specific shipment. And we actually show our customers how much they're able to save uh, from carbon emissions uh, for a very discreet move. And, uh, and that's making a real impact. There's more to come on that front. I think we're, we're only in the very early innings of recognizable value being derived from from the sustainability option. I'd like you to talk a bit about incentivizing businesses to locate on Norfolk Southern. That's a big part of your your job, I would imagine. Uh, What tools are you leveraging? Some of them are financial. There could be federal, uh, local grants and loans, public-private partnerships, so on and so forth. Let me start by saying the, the, the first and best salesperson for, uh, for Norfolk Southern is generally our customers. If, if, if we're providing value in the form of e- easily recognized value, you know, it shows up and, and it shows up when they're talking to their friends, it shows up when they're at trade conferences, it shows up when they're the most competitive option out there and people take note of that. So, so number one, you know, we try to stay extraordinarily close to our customer base. Uh, oftentimes they want to expand 
And the first place that they want to come to to talk about that oftentimes is us because they know how important we can be to helping them uh, derive additional value uh, from that expansion. So that's number one. Number two, you're absolutely right. There are a number of both local, regional, state, um, and even federal partnerships that are out there that we engage in. Uh, for economic development, there are a number of not only local and state agencies, but there's a lot of economic developers out there uh, who are who are site selectors and helping uh, customers make those decisions. And those customers are coming from all over the world to look at sites. Whenever I have the chance to sit down and talk with them about what we can offer them in terms of value uh, for their product and for for their logistics chain, it's a real treat. And, uh, and I'm always honored when I'm able to do that. The truth is being visible in the industry, being visible with our site selector partners, being visible with state economic development is probably the most important thing that we do. Uh, because honestly, you've heard me say it a few times that easily recognize value is the important part. If I have five, 10 minutes with someone to talk about uh, Norfolk Southern, if I have to pull out a 20 page PowerPoint to try to explain what sort of value we can offer them, probably not working. For the most part, the value that that we're able to unlock for our customers is, is very easily understood, recognized, and, and that's what makes it so valuable. You spend quite a bit of your time uh, in the field, uh, interfacing with customers, working with uh, getting back to the public-private partnerships, working with local, state, and regional, even federal leaders. Your job is, uh, well, diverse, right? Yeah. <laughs> popular yeah. term these days, but uh, different kind of diversity. I'll be honest with you. I, I feel lucky that at least two or three times a week, uh, I'm, I'm out of the office in the field with customers, and I get to see so many innovations and so many supply chains that have worked to solve all kinds of problems over time. Favorite part of the job is, is to go out and look at existing problems and try to figure out how we can help customers solve them. Um, Do you find that uh, customers have a uh, lot of suggestions or novel ideas they'd like the railroad to at least look at, to, to consider? Absolutely. To me, the most successful sales call that I could make, or that anybody can make, honestly, is right there on the loading dock with a customer, talking about the operation, talking about how we either help them or hurt them in terms of their efficiency. And uh, one thing I've learned about people everywhere is they're often very, very smart, uh, no matter what job they have. And you get some great ideas, you start to identify some problems that maybe you don't even understand that you were causing, uh, which which is right. impe impeding uh, that customer's ability to move more freight with us. And uh, you just learn so much. So. What I tell folks is I don't want to really be in a boardroom anywhere. I'd much rather be out in, in the yard or on the loading dock looking at how things work. To uh, put a twist on, on an old uh, saying that some long ago railroad executive uh, was quoted as saying, we'd be able to run a, a damn good railroad if it weren't for the customers. Well, I think here it's we're able to run a, a damn good railroad because of our customers. That's right. You know, we, we talk about being... <laughs> <laughs> being uh, customer centric and operations driven. And that, that's really what it, where it comes down to is, you know, we have to engage with our customers every single day. And uh, Bill, you know this, 
maybe the only person at Norfolk Southern that our customer ever meets might be that conductor who's tying a handbrake on those cars that they're delivering. And we have to be focused on the value that we're delivering for our customers. And and understand, you know, that that oftentimes we can help our customers by helping ourselves. We can even help ourselves by helping our customers. It's not a one-way street for sure. It's really about providing that stable, reliable service every day so that customers can count on it. All right. Well, Ed uh, Elkins, thank you so much for your time here. I think uh, you've given us some real fascinating behind-the-scenes look at, at what goes on in, uh, in your department. We wish you the best, and uh, we know that we'll, be, we'll continue this, this dialogue, whether at a conference or at a podcast. Uh, so thanks, uh, thanks for your time again. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. I had a great time. Thank you, Bill.